presence of the man who created Reeling in the Years 2020. You're we were just discussing it. A true hero. Yeah. Oh, well, thank, thank you very much, Simon. You might not be aware of this, but actually I, uh, I created it independent of the TV show. I'd never heard of the TV show. And I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was very shocked to find that RT are commissioning something very similar to it. Yeah, you should sue. I mean, you yeah. should, you should, like, I was thinking about Legally, that. there's got to be something, uh, something you could do there. Hmm. Surely, surely. You know, surely. Welcome along, everyone, to the podcast that on April 13th was ranked number 35 in the podcast charts for Irish history. That is no joke. Go check it out. Um, and as we climb higher and higher, uh, join us for the terrifying lows, dizzying highs and creamy middles. Um, as we go down the year that was 1974, uh, it is, of course, reeling in your ears. Um, if you want to keep in touch and keep up with what exactly it is that we are doing, you can follow us on Twitter at R-I-Y-E podcast and also on Facebook. But, you know, we don't have a handle or anything fancy there. You just look for it. We'll pop right up like a cockwart uh anywho um and like every good podcast i can't do it alone so here to join me once again is the head honcho for the campaign hashtag justice for morris's point it's simon chadwick how's it going hey karen how are you getting on not too bad you had me worried there for a second because i did this last week and then there was just dead silence and i was like are you still alive <laughs> and then i did it there and i didn't hear anything and i was like are you still alive <laughs> I am here. I am here. My my internet, like I live, I live, you know, close to Dublin. You'd think my internet would be would be top top of the pops, but it is not. Um, so oh, it's but, it's, you know, it's no Gilbert. We seem to be over the worst of it. It's no Gilbert. It's not tops. It's no Gilbert. No, it's somewhere <laughs> down the middle. It's down. It's down the middle. It's, it we is. don't make freeling in ears episodes. It is. And uh, as always, we are joined by our rotating third. So, uh, Simon, who do we have with us this week? Well, tonight, Kieran, we have got a writer, comedian, and creator of Reeling in the Years 2020. It is Roger O'Sullivan. Hello. Good Thanks afternoon. for having me, guys. Yeah, no, no problem at all. No, no pressure. Just Ew. come on in. You know, well, well done on the uh, what? What number did you say it was again? Thirty-five. Thirty-five. That's genuinely. I'm very impressed by that because for... hey, it's a number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a number we're on the board for a full year uh me and my and my housemate were making a podcast called fair enough city where we <laughs> e- every every week we would review fair city um <laughs> and uh, honestly i'd be surprised if we got like anywhere in in, <laughs> in those numbers it turns out people don't like fair city so yeah, that's well, that's. You know, a- I've, it's funny because um, with the new reading in the years episodes, they're up, they're on late in the evening and they're on after Fair City. So I've actually caught the last three minutes of Fair yeah. City two weeks in a row, and it's it just reminds good. me how terrible it is. It's so sorry, bad, like Fair City. Yeah, it's no, so bad. It's 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 so bad. And you know what? Actually, I went on there just as we were chatting about that to have a look and see where are we now in the charts. I, and it just doesn't give a number. It says out. We've crashed out of the charts. But hey, let's let's crash back into the charts before I start to cry. Let's get back in. Yeah. Get back let's, in there. 
Let's let's do this. Um, so this week's episode, this year, 1974. Uh, so we open with a man in a funny wig coughing to cover up the fact that he can't speak Irish. Uh, as he swears in a new president of Ireland, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Carvel O'Dolig. We'll go with that. Um, after the sudden death of Erskine Childers, and I'd like to specify that's Erskine Hamilton Childers. Because my research for this, I was reading the Wikipedia page and I was like, oh, born in 1870. And I was like, he's 103 when he became president. No wonder he died. Wrong Erskine Childers. Turns out there was two of them. One of them was like a soldier or some shit. There was. Yeah, no, they don't. Uh, they, they didn't clarify. So Erskine Hamilton Childers was the president and, and he did. But um, yeah, yeah I, thought, I thought it was. He was quite- going to manhandle the cat last week. Jesus, yeah, I remember that practically strangling the fucking thing. Maybe he was mauled to death by a pack of cats. Um, yeah, the the awesome. the the, um, the guy swearing him in was like uh, it was like he was doing his uh, his oral Irish for the leaving cert and couldn't remember the sentence, so he just. <laughs> well, what? you know who that is. You know who that is swearing him in, Kieran. No, that is Tom O'Higgins. What? Who lost the presidential election to Erskine Childers the year before? So. Oh, so, that must have been infuriating. Yeah, right. So, so, so I'll give you the history here. Now, again, I'll caveat this. I think I said this before when he ran in 66. I know the O'Higgins family. They're from ah. this neck of the woods. So uh, I do know them. But that's Tom O'Higgins, right? So Tom O'Higgins ran in 66. Uh, we saw that episode. Think, yeah. Kieran, I think it was 66. Um, and lost to... Um, somebody whose name escapes me now. And then... Oh, Dev. He lost to Dev again. Yeah, he did. And, uh, and then... And then he ran last year and wanted to lift the shrouds. Well, that's 1973 and wanted to lift the shrouds from the Oris, if you remember that line. Uh, and he also lost uh, to uh, Erskine Childers. And now Erskine Childers is dead and they've just replaced him with, I think it's Karul O'Dolig. Uh, and he has to swear him in because he's just been appointed Chief Justice. And one of the Chief Justice's jobs is to swear him. <laughs> that's fucking. Talk about a kick of the balls. Two two things that I just think are amazing about that is one the fact that as you well one that you casually drop in that that you're a shill for the O'Higginses. <laughs> I am Simon. The the this whole podcast has just been a, a lie up until now. So just so you could get to the bit that you could rectify the name of, of Tom O'Higgins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the other one is that the pretty much having a, a president called O'Doyle is pretty much almost like a, a joke character name of like oh yes and, and president O O parliament <laughs> <laughs> that's actually yeah I like that that that's actually quite true but that's like um that's like getting fired right and then they ask you to hang around and train in the guy who's replacing you <laughs> it's yeah, and and it's very clear that he doesn't speak Irish so he's got to kind of butcher the irish as he as he uh, as he reads it out to the guy who i mean this is based solely on his name but probably speaks irish quite well yeah i'd imagine he does and i mean Surely. the most irish language name i've ever seen i i was a bit worried i'm glad that you, i'm sticking i'm not even going near his first name but <laughs> I, when i was looking up his wikipedia page uh, it was one of those instances where i thought i'll venture into the pronunciation guide on wikipedia and at the, I've never been able to make head nor tail of the pronunciation guide. So I I was better off when they didn't give me a guide to how to say this guy's name. It's it's just a jumble of letters. That's that's Irish for you. It it is. <laughs> like and I mean I I, could, the, I, could, the, I just, yeah I I think 
I think it's Car- I think the English is Carol, right? Uh, uh, really? Yeah. So hit this. So when you look at his Wikipedia page, he was christened Carol O'Daly. Oh well, there you go. English English name, uh, obviously. And then, you know, he adopted Carol O'Daly. I think it's Carol, but I I'm open to correction on that. That's just I know a guy who has this, a similar looking name to this, and that's how uh. it's pronounced. That's how he pronounces it. But I think it's one of these names where, depending on where you are in Ireland, it's probably pronounced differently. Yeah, I've, uh, you know what, I'll, 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 I'll text my sister. She's an Irish teacher. Um, I also had an, an ex-girlfriend who spoke Irish, but she shouted at me a lot, Oscar Elga, so I, I probably won't text her. But anyway. Um, oh, I'd say that was scary. Yeah, it reminded me of being in primary school. Which, you know, that's not, never really good. No, <laughs> that's never, no, uh, Vietnam no. flashbacks. <laughs> um, but uh, up next, we go across the world to the World Cup in Munich as West Germany beat Holland 2 1. The winning goal was scored by Gerd Müller. Um, and it's a shame he didn't cross it in because then it would have been a Muller corner. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm known for here is really shit jokes. Um, wow. Yep. Kieran, can I hit you with some sporting sporting oh, uh, knowledge? Please do. As is my want. This is this is this is this is where I like to try and shine every week because it's the only thing I know anything about. Um, the the uh, this World Cup, right? So the Dutch, the Dutch were the dominant team in this tournament, and they were expected to win the whole thing. They played hmm. what they call total football, and Dutch teams had won the previous four European Cups um, up till 1974 uh, or 73, but they'd won four in a row anyway between Ajax and I think Feyenoord. Um, but anyway, so the Dutch they had Johan Cruyff and they were the best team in it. Oh yeah, but right there is a conspiracy theory about why they lost this match, and I'm going to lay it on you. Right? Oh, dude. so the conspiracy. Oh, Conspiracy theory, and we do love a conspiracy theory here we do, in we do. Reeling in Your Ears yeah. Towers. Um, it's basically that the night before this game, so this, this was obviously in Germany, so West Germany were the home team here, and uh, allegedly a German tabloid, which is called Bild, which is still around now, uh, allegedly bribed security guards at the Dutch team hotel to allow scantily clad ladies to go in and mm-hmm. lounge around the pool area of the hotel. Now, the Dutch team are well known to be fond of a drink and mm-hmm. scantily clad ladies. Yeah. So they mingled in the pool with the girls. The paparazzi from the from the tabloid went in and like oh. were taking photos and they plastered them all over the paper the next morning, the morning of the match. So instead of preparing for the final that evening, the Dutch players spent hours on the phone to their wives, like trying to explain themselves um, and why they've been like, you know, heavy petting with the uh, with the uh, with the. <laughs> <laughs> you know oh the, the models or whatever God. they were, and um, and the conspiracy theory is that because they were so frazzled by all this, that's why they lost the final, despite being like clearly the better team. Wow, that's brilliant. Mm. Yeah. That, that now, is... it, there's various you know denials of that, but it, it, so I have no idea if it if it played out exactly like that, but that's the common perception of it. I've just, I've just, uh, I've just gotten some information in here. It's all correct. It's all true. There you go. Yeah. Just, I got it confirmed on my end. Fair enough. If you didn't need any more proof, <laughs> I was literally just going to add on the new trophy looks so shiny. But there you go with the the conspiracy theories and the uh, that's that's like proper. That's evil. That's like something Putin would do. Yeah. Well, look, Germans. I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, that's that's pretty much been the mentality for the last hundred years in Europe. Germans, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> Germans going to German. <laughs> Germans going to German, exactly. Um, and um, back over this side of the water, a fire destroys Powers Courthouse in Wicklow. 
Is this the same house that the Ra threatened to blow up and like one of the royals was visiting a couple of, we, we covered this a couple of episodes back where they ended up just blowing up a telephone pole and as a result they left or something. Um, no word on oh, I think that was somewhere else. I don't think that was Paris word. If I had the, if I just had the wherewithal and like the, the, the want of effort to go back through my notes, I'm sure I'd find it. But I would be 90% sure that it is. But anyway, we'll leave it open to interpretation. Um, no word on how the fire started, um, but it completely gutted the inside and it, uh, it it remained closed for many, many years. So obviously a very devastating fire. But I love how they're all so casual about it. The, the people being interviewed, they're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, caught fire. Yeah. Very matter of fact. Yeah, shit's on fire, yo. That was that was pretty much the mentality. Did you uh, did you notice the return of the uh, the mad looking RT microphone when she was I being interviewed? I did. I <laughs> did. Yes, that's that's a common theme, Roger. For the, for all these previous episodes that we've watched, it's like once you know you'll see an RT viewer be somebody being interviewed for RT, and it's like just this thing that looks like a shower head, and then the next <laughs> week it'll be like a pencil, and <laughs> they're going through the rolodex of microphones, like and they're back at it again this year. Do you think that there was anything to that? Do you think that they were just single-use microphones or do you think that they were losing them? or What, what do you think was going on there? I, hmm, I don't know. Maybe just that they were... Well, our initial theory was that uh, when they are back in the 60s, it was all so new and fresh that they just didn't... Um, they just had a mixed box of microphones uh, like that they were just rooting around. Maybe it was given to them, the leftovers from the BBC, who knows? Um, but now they've got no fucking excuse. It's, it's not, they were open, what, 12, 12 years now, and they still haven't gotten, gotten any decent microphones. Um, but um, up after that, we are back to industrial action uh, with Dublin bus as they go on strike next again. Um, and while people thumb lifts, the army are called in to lend a hand. Again, as is tradition, uh, helping all the good old army, uh, helping all the old ones at the shopping. Um, the strike would last a total of nine weeks, um, and the strike was over the new terms for working hours as drivers asked for a five day working week. That's sorry, no, that's bollocks. Um, like fair enough, you know, five day work week is kind of the standard in most industries, but when you drive a bus. Not really, because it buses tend, as is their nature, to run six or seven days a week. So tough shit. Do you do you think that bringing the army in? Do you think that any of the army people thought I, I actually I quite like this and retrained as bus drivers? <laughs> it wouldn't actually be a bad idea. I'm sure there's a few. Uh, now, to be fair, there's a few local bus drivers around here. Look like they've seen some shit in the war. So. Uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> bus drivers are a car- are colorful characters at the best of times i think some of them like oh yeah but, uh, did you notice did you notice that uh what you get to do when the bus because you see this clip of when the buses resume and i can only imagine the glee on the face of this one driver so i don't know if you saw this clip so it's that last line of like you know after nine weeks buses resume or whatever it exactly is normal service resumes after nine weeks and they show a bus driving down what i think is like maybe nassau street or marion square somewhere like that in in, te- in dublin and it's just this bus it shows the bus and then it pans across to the road and there's all these people lined up at the bus stop and the bus is just zooming on by them and they all like do that thing of like pretending they're not too devastated that their bus has just like driven by them and they have to wait for the next one and it's just just like as a a frequent Uh, bus wanker as i said to you earlier on yeah uh, i i had a giddy thrill at that the uh the worst part about that i find about like when you're in a busy place like dublin or like uh i suppose waterford is kind of busy but and we've but we've only got like 
three bus routes. So uh, the worst part is you're you're like, okay, shit, my bus is you, and you're legging it towards the bus, and you are like dodging traffic, and you get to the back of the bus, and you're like, eh, eh, and then you get to the front of the bus and realize that that's not your bus. That's that's a bus going somewhere else, and then you're like, oh shit, now I look like a fucking idiot. I many a time when I was in Cork, I would race for uh, a bus and end up. I would say absolutely embarrassing myself <laughs> in a similar circumstance. Once dropping my phone and my phone just smashing everywhere, and oh. then picking my phone up and and cobbling it together, and then when I reach the bus, uh, looking at the front and realizing it's not the bus I got to work. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> That's oh my god, that's awful. I once got a bus in Dublin, and I remember I had, I had, I, I got, I got on the bus, and like I was working, and the people I was with were like, right, we're getting this bus, grand, no bother. Got on the bus, went to hand the driver the money, and just coins fell out of my hand and just fucking everywhere. And there's like a queue of people behind me, and I'm like, and I've very short fingernails, so there I'm trying to pick up like five cent coins and shit off the floor, like I fucking hate any public transport in Dublin I cannot manage it I'm not a big city slicker <laughs> so the pressure was insurmountable to say the least uh, one uh, one good thing about uh, living in London is that the the buses are they're really remarkably uh, just on time constantly but I have to say that the bus experience of actually being in the bus is nowhere near as comforting as in, in Ireland but I, I, thinking now just chatting with you, you two guys i think that actually part of that is the fact that there's no relief when i get on the bus because <laughs> there hasn't been any jeopardy about whether or not the bus will come that's, a, that's part part of the bus yeah part of the bus ride is the experience the amount of times I, i've been delighted to just sit down on the bus and go oh thank god at least i'm on the bus but here it's just like well, of course i was going to get on the bus why it's just total anticlimax. <laughs> Everything is working as it should. It's <laughs> very frustrating. As, as an Irish person, that's like does not compute. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't, I don't understand. Um, but um, yeah, so as a result, CIE manager John Byrne says uh, this goes to show that buses being out would be, to use the American term, death of the city centre. Someone needs to tell John there that death isn't just an American word. what the fuck was that about like to use the american term death there's no death here that's all that's an american term it's a i'm pretty sure i i was actually caught off guard by it i had i hadn't heard the term before when he mentioned it (laughs) yeah it's a a new thing that they're trying to bring in um but um this new new concept this new concept death um and up next more eurovision we're back baby um and back with a bang as sweden take to the stage with waterloo and as they say the rest is history probably the most successful act of eurovision history is abba are you guys big abba fans oh wouldn't be massive wouldn't be massive but i dance to dancing queen hmm yeah, I would we'll classify it as, as 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 a big ABBA fan, but I, I I respect what they've done. I guess is probably how I'd say it. My mother is a big ABBA fan. I have to say, I I really uh, I really do quite like ABBA. I think I think ABBA are, are a brilliant brilliant band, and I think also I don't know about you guys, but I, I quite like metal music, and there's a number of really excellent metal ABBA covers. Now, yes, you know what, actually. <laughs> I, yeah, 
I don't know if I classify this as metal, but I was doing the dishes the other day and I had a random playlist on and up pops a cover of SOS by Fozzy. And it is fucking brilliant. They really take a cover. I think it's a testament to how good the songs are that they take a cover version very well. Yeah, actually. Now, I'd be very interested to hear like Slipknot take on Dancing Queen. But, you know, uh, uh, they do have quite the wide range. But one thing that always in, not annoyed me about ABBA, but the concept of ABBA was, didn't they? I think they came back again a couple of years later to do the Eurovision and maybe they won again. I'm not sure. But if the rule is, OK, you can't be an established act going into the Eurovision. A, how the fuck were they allowed to come mm. on, you know, do it and then come back again? And if we're going to have leeway like that, why have we never sent you two to the Eurovision? That's been my gripe all these years. Do you know what? I'd love if they sent you two and they didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which they absolutely wouldn't now. Like, yeah, yeah. They just, they just wouldn't win it now. I mean, like, that's, 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 I think that's the reality. Although yeah. some, like, the Eurovision has kind of come back, um, for, like, a little bit in terms of, like, there's been some interesting acts of one and some interesting songs mm. and good songs. But, uh, yeah, because it was, it was the thing, wasn't it? Because, you know, obviously we had, like the golden period in the 90s where we won loads of Eurovisions in a row and uh, and Father Ted Parody did it, obviously. And then didn't we... Um, we obviously had then have, have been shit ever since. And what there was a call like in the mid 2000s of like, why wouldn't we just send one of like, uh, yeah, our successful acts. But I it, I remember the call around then was for like the likes of Westlife or oh. like somebody somebody of that ilk to be sent. And I was like, well, there's no way those guys would win. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I think one of them did sing at some point in the last couple of years in the Eurovision and got like voted out of the semi-final. Yeah, it's it's really embarrassing when we don't even make it past the semis. But I like you're you're right in saying that we have been just absolute shit the last couple of years. And I think the competition really has not become a joke, but it's it's really become like okay, you know, there there's never going to be a, a big winner like you know fucking I don't know England or Ireland or whatever. It it's really going to be that. That block, I suppose, if you want to be conspiracy about it, just that that Eastern European block. But um, at the same time, we're not doing ourselves any favors either, because how many years did we make an absolute shambles of the oh actual our entries yeah. by the bollocks that we pulled off the fucking street, put on telly for eight weeks, put Ray Darcy in front of them. And we're like, you know, right, you're going to sing a song now for us. And then you're going to the Eurovision. Like the time they sent Chris Doran, Jesus Christ. And he's from Waterford. <laughs> I actually, I don't know who that so is. His, his song is on that. His song is on that Reading in the Years playlist that we've mentioned before on Spotify. Because oh. obviously it features on whatever, whatever yeah. year, 2004, I think. And uh, I listened to it as part of listening to that playlist. And oh, it is a terrible song. I think it was written by Brian McFadden from Westlife, which probably tells you how good oh. the, or the quality of the song is. But Jesus, it is a t- it's a terrible song. It's and like, shocking. your man, he's a real throwback though. When we, You know, Kieran, when we watched the first few years of Ireland in the Eurovision, and it was all these men like from the show bands, but just like a man singing into the camera. He was a real throwback to that. But in 2004, that was just never going to fly like. <laughs> I just, I've just looked him up now, and he, one, I've never seen this man before in my life, and two, my God, he just looks like somebody who would be the manager of your local supervisor. He should not. We shouldn't have sent him. <laughs> Is he from Waterford, Kieran? He okay, right? He's from Waterford, but I'm not claiming him. Okay, he's. Not, not- that's fine. Yeah, you're not claiming him like you claim Gilbert. That's fine. No, I get that. <laughs> who would who would claim him? Yeah, no. But it, I just it, wonder, does he now work locally? Like, because he obviously he's not a singer anymore. Like, he's not a professional singer. 
well, he wasn't he, even then, I don't think. No, he, he wasn't then. He was just very, very good at it. And he kind of did for the longest time, like pubs and clubs and things like that. But um, no, he was he was still kind of, uh, he'd be the kind of fellow who when you walk past the pub and see, you know, Chris Doran singing here tonight, you'd go, uh, no, no, I think we'll go somewhere else. Do, do you know, I um, my, uh, my my girlfriend is, is English and she is, loves the Eurovision. And I recently showed her Dustin the Turkey. <laughs> She she thought it was some kind of parody. She couldn't believe that we actually sent that. Oh yeah. No, those were the very dark days. Like the very, very yeah. dark days. That was but that was I mean, that was like well, we've tried the Eurostar thing, that hasn't worked. You know, mm. we've we've tried what's always worked, so let's yeah. let's send I mean that was yeah, but it was it was a bit of an embarrassment. And like people like in Europe took it very badly. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't think they're really gonna get his humour. Yeah. Um, and I remember being on holidays at the time in Spain when the Eurovision was on. And I remember walking in just off the plane, literally pulled up from the bus, went to the first kebab shop that was there right in front of me, standing at the counter, ordering my kebab. And I look up at the telly and there's Justin on the telly singing. And the guy who was serving the kebab goes, where are you from? And I was like, oh, Ireland. And he pointed to the telly and then pointed back at me and laughed. Uh, <laughs> that's just not what you want it's just not what you fucking want really is it um but actually one thing that i want to see is that uh with the Eurovision or the Eurovision this year i'm glad they went with a normal backdrop because now we, we've seen slash hooks ceramic plates now it's just tinsel so we're, we're settling into the normal the normal decor of your yeah but it looks like it looks like the guitars are outlandish did you see bjorn's guitar when oh they, i did playing their song that is that's you said that, Simon, in, in a way as if somebody's like, and did you see one or down the street today? Did you? Did you see your man's guitar? Who does he think he is? No, he's no. very bad. He was walking into the shop there with his guitar and I thought, that's very bad of Bjorn. His mother wouldn't like that. <laughs> no, he, he didn't get that in Cork, I'll tell you. Did no, he, he did not. <laughs> that would be one of them foreign guitars, I suppose. <laughs> I wouldn't see it down the church, I'll tell you. <laughs> Christ. Um, but um, seeing if, speaking of things you wouldn't see down the church, uh, up next we get shots of Tricky Dicky uh, as he glad hands folks, as we're told he's going to fight Watergate. Uh, of course, by now we all know the story. He arranged for a break in and the Democratic offices in Watergate was accused of recording secret meetings and bugging opponents' offices. I mean, happy fighting, I guess, but the evidence is really fucking clear. Um, and uh, we, we see major protests, including a man holding a sign wearing a Nixon mask from the stuff of fucking nightmares. Scary uh, mask. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. Um, and it doesn't look good for Nixon as he loses major legal battles in court and Congress. Um, of course, it, it ends up pretty badly uh, when he says, um, I have never been a quitter. And then quits um, that was so weird like I, I get that he tried to he kind of explained it afterwards but it was just that line of like I've never been a quitter it's against everything I have stand for and then I'm quitting I'm going to resign <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, like the, the best part about this was you know they say goodbye to White House staff um, and they let Jerry Ford take the reins and he hilariously addresses the staff and he says uh, we don't have a good word for it in English so uh, au revoir we do it's goodbye <laughs> that's what it means <laughs> it doesn't make I, any... I get his sentiment I think he, you know he's obviously applying the literal translation of au revoir but it's just <laughs> yeah the way he phrases things it's like the quitter thing just the way you phrased it is just, it's just, it's just yeah. Like, we don't have a word for it in English. Like, 
it, it literally me like and I, you know what I actually went to Google Translate straight after because you know the way in foreign languages like au revoir could possibly mean see you later but it literally translates as goodbye but I understand his sentiment of like you know goodbye is not a you know a, a good enough word or whatever so I'm just going to pull a del boy yeah. on it and use some French maybe that's why the Americans invented death like yeah. as a word you know they've just it's like they, he's now trying to say this isn't death this is just you know we'll see you again I'm not dying here because they they needed that explained to them as, as your man from CIE kind of uh, showed us that's it the international audience wouldn't know what he was on about um, yeah. so he should have got up and just dumbed it down and been like I'm not a quitter I'm just resigning <laughs> yeah, I'll be around you know I'll be hanging outside the gates with the guy in the mask yeah yeah, yeah. that's actually me in the mask Um but um, Nixonception, Nixonception, oh, Nixon oh. wearing a mask. There you, there you have it. Um, and um, up next, not content with being Jesus last year, Tony Henney is back to play Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Um, obviously, the one requirement for auditioning for this role uh, and the role of the choir was that you had to have a bowl cut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so many button bowl haircuts. I know it's like. And they're so badly done as well. I saw a few like homemade fringes there. Um, but yeah, Jesus Christ, kind of kind of wicked. Um, um have you guys watched uh Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat? Sadly, like a thousand times, yeah. Wait, wait so so I was going I, I wanted to bring this up. Did you watch it in primary school? Yes. I never I've never seen it. Oh my god, we I thought it was just something weird that one of our teachers had, but clearly at least one other person experienced it. Did you get the Donny Osmond version? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. the Donny Osmond. <laughs> that is the best best version. Did you know they cut out a scene in the video that they showed kids in primary school? Really? What right. did they cut out? Was he nude yet? Yes, kind of. Do you remember the did you ever see the the, the one with um the part with Potiphar? Um, I'm, I don't know if that. No, you, you didn't. You didn't. And I, oh. <laughs> right? Because there's a scene, there's a whole scene in this thing, right? And it's the same version, the Donny Osmond version with the narrator, the children, and everything, right? But there's a scene after the Pharaoh, like, disregards him or, you know, sends him away mm. or whatever. And he's locked in a cage uh, and he is forced to work for a man named Potiphar. Um, and Potiphar sends his wife down to the cage to tease Joseph and basically try to get Joseph to have sex with her. And I know this because when I was talking to my daughter, my 10 year old daughter, about how I this was what we because we actually did this for our sixth year musical. Never did it in any other fucking musical. But for some reason, we did Joseph for their, our sixth year musical. And we had to replace Joseph because the guy who played Joseph, his voice cracked. And he would, you know, hit puberty. So he was just no good. But anyway, um, so, yeah. So I know this because when I showed my 10-year-old and I downloaded the Donny Osmond version, that fucking shit was left in. So they then had to explain <laughs> that to my 10-year-old. Well, can I just tell you, I just quickly went to Google Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat. And in Google Images, the first suggestion, additional suggestion is... Uh, Potiphar's wife so I think that this stuck in a lot of kids minds it must have made it into some schools I think it, it quite possible quite it's very <laughs> it's very possible but um, but no it, it, it kind of damaged me what a what a, a bizarre like there doesn't seem to be any inherent uh, 
let's say, benefit to showing this to children around <laughs> Catholic Ireland? I don't see what, what, because for us, it was like, do you know, I think thinking back on it, it's, you know, people always like the idea of the, of the, the wheeling in the TV to the classroom. Oh, yeah. People always have like good memories associated with that. But in our school, we were shown one of two things, which was either Joseph and his technical dream coat, or the other thing was an excruciatingly detailed video about the horrors of Chernobyl. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it what? was so so I think so at some stage our school, my primary school, did did something for raising money for Chernobyl and we got this VHS that they just kept showing to us. But honest, I I stand by this. It was more graphic than the HBO version. Jesus. It was terrible. <laughs> Are we bring it up some some repressed memories here? I think so. I think uh, <laughs> I have a date with Potiphar's wife tonight. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we 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 only got two things in primary school as well. Anytime we were showing a video, one was Joseph and his technical dream code. The other was, uh, oh God, an eyewitness documentary where it was uh, the the name of the company was Eyewitness. It was narrated by the guy who plays Manuel in Faulty Towers. And the intro was like a real CGI of a museum, and all the things are coming to life, and the music was like that still brings back horrible memories for me. Um, but um, but what we usually do, actually, I meant I keep forgetting to preempt our guests with this, but we do a uh, segment every week called mm. Pop Quiz. So today's Pop Quiz. I want you all to tell me how in, in the song, Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, which I suppose you, it has many names, uh, any dream will do, etc. How many colours were in Joseph's coat? So, Simon, I'm going to let you start this week. So, how many colours would you say were in Joseph's Technicolor coat? And I won't accept many. That's not a valid answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many colours were in the coat? Like... Like it was a coat I mean, of how many colours? How many? Yeah, it. I don't know. I mean, like, is there, like that's, that's the is whole point. Seven, of the smart, is seven the smart answer here? I mean, seven colours in a rainbow. But then I assume there's more. There's more than that in the coat. I mean, I never saw it. I'm at a disadvantage because my primary school, we didn't. I don't. I've never seen this. You didn't go to a, a musical theatre primary school. No, clearly not. <laughs> you guys went to some kind of like Glee uh, <laughs> primary school where you watch musicals. The only thing I ever remember watching is Sonia O'Sullivan racing in the 2000 Olympics. Uh, in primary school, that's that's the, literally we all gathered in the in the in the the whatever the room was, the, the hall, and uh, they wheeled in the telly, and we all craned our necks to watch Sonia Sullivan lose in the final of the 2000, uh, whatever it was. The closest, the closest story I have to that is we. I think we were all brought into a hall to be told about 9/11. Ooh. Well, this is Sonia's loss was clearly more tragic. Um, Definitely, yes. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, yeah. So uh, I didn't, I didn't see. I don't. I've never seen Joseph in the Amazing Technical Dream Code apart from this clip on Reading in the Years, and I don't. I couldn't count the colours on his thing here. So I don't know uh, how much is many. I'm going to say twenty-seven. Okay. Okay. Um, alrighty. So, uh, Roger, what do you reckon? How many colours were in Joseph's Technical Dream Code? So now I feel like an agent because I definitely don't know, um, <laughs> it, despite watching it over and over again. So I'll just say, uh, so I'll just go higher. I'll go, actually, I'll go ludicrous. I'll say a hundred. A <laughs> hundred. Okay. 
Okay. Well, the correct answer. 28. No, no way. way. 28. Get out of town. Jammy fucker. You absolute <laughs> jammy bastard. Oh, I have. I And Roger, I never win this. I've won it once. Yeah. We should have gone one over. There you go. You oh, that's, that's what everybody I, does. Yeah. Every other <laughs> guest does it to me. Every other guest just goes one over or one under. And if you got one over, you would have been banged. Uh. But I'm glad you played the game, Roger. <laughs> just look at you. Look at you, you cocky fuck. Thanks for playing, Roger. Right. But I'm but I won this twice. Hey, now. hey no, I meant as in like I'm glad Roger best. tried and answer rather than just go one over. <laughs> Mostly I'm glad because he would have won if he'd done that. Well, there you go. There you go. So just for record, um, and because I remember the song, okay, I lie, I have it in front of me. It was red and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive and violet and fawn and lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve and cream and crimson and silver and rose and azure and lemon and russet and grey and purple and white and pink and orange. Those are all the colours of the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay, you have seen it too much. Uh, well, I, have it, I, have it, I have it on in front of me on Google. I, ha- I had to Google it. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. I thought you were reciting that from memory, and I was like, "Oh Jesus, no, God no!" Uh, <laughs> why? Tw- like twenty-eight is such a rant. Is that just like that's just however many Tim Rice could think of? Well, I mean, if you think of it, <laughs> Tim Rice. Could think- well, if you think of, was it? No, it wasn't Tim Rice. It was um, uh, Tim Rice did the lyrics, I think. And well, did Lloyd he? Weber. I researched this yesterday. Yes, I think you'll uh, find it's a biblical story. It's Christ. Christ <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jesus wrote it. Or who wrote the Bible? <laughs> Matthew, Luke, and whatever. Yeah. Matthew Luke Nobody and whatever. more religious than I will tell yeah. me will tell me who and even I even, I'm, I'm the least religious person in the world even I can tell you Matthew, Mark, Luke and John but well <laughs> look well, didn't pay attention down the back of mass <laughs> fair enough I love how you were like yeah well you know what I did my research did you because you, you didn't get to you, you missed the colours by one <laughs> <laughs> well, the Wikipedia page for the actual musical doesn't say how many uh, doesn't That's say true. how many colours there is I'm pretty sure because I'm sure I would have noticed that I, I would love to see that part of the Wikipedia page where there's just a collection, just a list of colours, all with the hyperlinks. <laughs> it just links you to the box of Crayola that they came from. Because, yeah. I mean, some of this shit sounds made up. When you hit, like, when I hit Rose, like, Azure, never heard of it. Russet, like, I thought that was a baby's biscuit. Russet? Uh, yeah, <laughs> Russet. R-U-S-S-E-T. Let me have a quick look here. Russet colour. Uh, Russet. It is it's shit coloured. Like it's it's it literally it's brown. Uh but it's obviously oh, a certain yeah. shade of brown. Um so russet, there you go. So now now you have it. Simon won that one with 27. Um well done, Simon. there you Strong have it. Fan. Thank you, Roger. <laughs> um, <Bastard>. <laughs> <laughs> um but up next, things are getting slippy in Bantry Bay as for miles of the coast is destroyed in oil as Tom McSweeney ruins his good shoes reporting on site from the disaster. Um, County Cork manager Michael Conlon says he's annoyed that after the last spill, nothing was done to prevent this from happening. Um, it doesn't say what he's the manager of. Could be the senior ladies football team. I don't know. But um, just yeah. has a managerial air about him, doesn't he? He's just kind of like general. He yeah. was general manager of Ireland, I think. <laughs> the, and I'm talking about the country, not the... Not the sports team. Yeah. Uh, the have, have you, um, Kieran? You said that you had, uh, or Kieran, you said that you uh, have family down by yeah Skibberina. So have you, have you ever been to Whitty Island? We didn't know actually. It's uh, it's, it's actually, a rabbit island. 
I've never never been there. Is that any good? Uh, I know Eddie Hobbs has a house which faces it. Um, so no good. No, so no good. It's an Stay economic away. disaster. Because Whitty Island is actually, if you ever get the chance to go out there, the it's just full of, I'd say there's probably maybe five people that live on the island and there's a small pub, but it's just, there's just cats all over the place. It's really, really cool if you like cats. Um, but when I was going, out, uh, there's a little ferry that goes out there and it's really rickety. Like you really don't, you, you don't think you're going to survive. And uh, when, when I was on it, I looked over and I noticed that the name on the boat was the lantern. And then like the wave came up and washed off a tiny bit of sea foam that was on it. And I noticed it was actually called the lantern too. Oh. And I instantly just started thinking, what the fuck happened to the Lantern One? <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the history they don't tell you. That's uh Jesus the Lantern Rickety. Yeah, that really does sound like your proper Irish tourist attraction, doesn't it? All us <laughs> there is five people, a pub, a load of cats, and you have to take a bit of timber to get there. <laughs> what is the the name Lantern for a boat doesn't really fill me with confidence. Like I think of no, a no. kind of a rickety wooden Swinging around a bit, yeah, yeah kind of blow, yeah, a strong breeze might uh, might knock it off, you know. Do you know, when I was on that island, I got uh, I just got like a pint of Guinness or something, and the beer mat. I actually brought the beer mat with me because it was for uh, a lager I'd never heard of. The Guinness had trialed in like the 1990s. <laughs> That's how old the fucking pub is. After you blew the dust off it, yeah. Christ. Um, and up next, over to Cyprus. Um, next, as the Turkish forces invade the country, uh, reporting for ITN, Michael Nicholson, who keeps looking at his watch, shows us the first round of paratroopers hitting the ground. Uh, we're shown shots of war-torn Cyprus, as the Turks claim they are acting to protect their population in Cyprus, while tourists are evacuated from the island by military helicopter. Hey, look, it's better than Ryanair. Uh, <laughs> Imagine you're having your holiday in Cyprus. You're laying out on the beach, and then some Turkish fella parachutes down on top of your <laughs> Like that is oh. just. I love this this cliff of like all like he's just all these people standing around as these people these Turks invade their country. Like <laughs> they're just kind of like standing like, oh yeah, it's raining yeah. Turkish men. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like I Tur- told you we shouldn't have come on holidays. The I Turks told are, you. The Turks are back, Ted. I wanted to go. I wanted to go to Bray. <laughs> yes, and drag me to Yeah, and it, it's gas because when they're loading the tourists onto the helicopter, there's a fella there, and he's the most British-looking tourist I've ever seen in my life because he's got a sleeveless Union Jack top on him, uh, and they're being loaded into the helicopter. Like, yes, this is mad, isn't it? Like. <laughs> Like four grand you paid for this holiday and now you're getting fucking shipped off because you've been invaded. But I just imagine him sitting, like you say, on his sun lounger, like, and in the in comes this paratrooper right on top of the sun lounger. And the first thing he says is like, Oi, I was here first. <laughs> My towel was here, mate. <laughs> I got up oh fucking hate to put that towel down. <laughs> I'd have paid off all the Germans. <laughs> Uh, but um, meanwhile in Dublin we see carnage as loyalists set off three car bombs without warning uh, as a result 33 people are killed uh, another car bomb was detonated in Monaghan uh, no one has been arrested uh, in connection with these bombings uh, one man details his horrible account of a woman blown to bits by the car as she walked past it uh, this would be the number the highest number of deaths as a result of a single incident during the Troubles 
Uh, Sorry, do you know the guy who they talk to? Yeah. Am I the only person who thinks that this guy is the most nonchalant person they've ever interviewed in there he's talking about the most horrific things ever he thought oh, yeah she was blown over there and blown over here anyway gotta head off gotta, gotta go to the shops yeah. and he's and he's got this proper old school Dublin accent that you don't really hear anymore uh, if you listen back to him like it's this perfect like throwing her up against the wall and it's like this <laughs> this perfect like uh, kind of that dying Dublin accent that you hear when the Dubliners sing and stuff like that um, but yeah you're dead right he kind of it doesn't really bring home the appalling the scenes that he's just watched like he's talking about a girl who was literally blown up in front of his eyes and he's kind of just like yeah well that's all I know lads gotta get off <laughs> yeah, yeah. off to the pub now if you don't mind it. it's Friday it's, evening after all the army are coming in to bring me to work um, yeah. <laughs> but it gives yeah. it a very understated homely quality to this awful <laughs> terrorist act but like, was, and this is this is mad because obviously like we've been watching the episodes where the troubles have been raging every five of our episodes mm. and uh, it's all been up to north. So, you know, you're kind of disconnected from it, but um, like that, that bomb there that he's talking about is on the corner of Nassau street and uh, Leinster street, which is just around the corner from the doll. And like, I worked at, like I work on Dawson street. So I work right beside mm. that. And like, the, I get the bus from there where he's basically where he's standing. And like, it's, it's mad that, that could, could happen to people who were just wandering around after work, you know, half five on a Friday evening. Um, and like it's no surprise that it's the deadliest incident considering the time of the day that these bombs were yeah. um, all I could think is you, as you were saying that Simon is like ooh fancy oh fancy look where he's working <laughs> yeah yeah the leafy the leafy green uh, Dublin 2 oh Mm, very yeah. nice, very yeah. nice. Oh, well, I'd love to be blown up in Dublin too. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell! Hey, you didn't have to be. You didn't have to be working in a fancy job. You could have got. You could have got blown up on Parnell Street or Talbot Street. So that's I mean, true, you know, any true. north side or south side, you could have taken your pick. It's true. I've I've very rarely gone to Dublin, so all of these names are just going right over my fucking head. Yeah. Or or Monaghan. I mean, you could have been blown up in Monaghan. That's, if you wanted to. That's true. Um, yeah. It, what's, it, it, what's interesting about the Monaghan bombing, actually, I've noticed when I did, was looking at this last night, is that the pub that the car bomb was outside in Monaghan was a Protestant-owned pub. Really? This is obviously, this is a loyalist attack, so you would have yeah. thought oh, that wouldn't be the case, yeah. but it's actually a Protestant-owned pub. Now, I don't think they were targeting the pub necessarily. That's just maybe they happened to just park it there. I don't think they were particularly targeting the pub, but like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it was. It, it, it's mad that this happened and I don't know if it's people know a lot about it. Obviously everyone knows the Dublin Monaghan bombings happened, but I don't think we know the history of it in the same way we know Bloody Sunday, for example, that we saw a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think they, they I, to be serious for a second, uh, no, <laughs> I, I, th- I genuinely think that they don't do a very good job of, um, of educating people about, about this or it, they really do a, a number in schools of like making it seem like it's a million billion years ago. Yeah, like, but you know, it's back to your point where you're saying about the um, the man being nonchalant. Like, we've kind of learned from like watching these last few episodes is when people, because I know RT and all that is twelve years old, but at this point, it's still kind of new for people who are just going about their business to be like on mm-hmm. telly. So, like, I mean, a couple of episodes ago where Nelson's column was blown up, like the guy whose car drove past it and he was blown up, he was like, um, he was like, oh yeah, sure. Driving to work, uh, heard a bang. Next thing, blow the bricks, you know. And and then there was a guy whose the front of his house fell off before, uh, which brought on the, oh, yeah. the development of Ballymun. And he was like, "Well, I was only sitting in reading the paper, <laughs> and next thing, I heard a big crash, and we could see outside, and didn't know what was happening. Like, you know, it's just so casual, like." 
or even like at the very first episode where like the the the, the, the newspaper was going out of business they were walking up to people with a microphone and at first they were like oh hey what, what, what's all this he's like well what are you gonna do with the paper going out of business i don't know Who, who's asking <laughs> I think I don't think you'd get it nowadays. Like if 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 God forbid something like this happened nowadays, you know, you would have people, uh, you know, being like, don't 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 talk to this man. He's clearly in shock. Whereas back then it was kind of like, well, you're not visibly injured, so I'm going to yeah. stick this microphone in your face and make you talk about what you've just seen. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like these days, if you want to get people who have been traumatized on telly, you just go to Arsenal Fan TV. We. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no Arsenal fans in the house, no Anywho um, And 1974 is the year that we churn out more rock stars As Rory Gallagher takes to the stage uh, The Corkman and former show band musician Which I didn't know um, is Begins his tour as he's seen signing a bloke's arm well, I suppose he can't flog an arm on eBay So there's that <laughs> Isn't he so cool, Rory Gallagher? Like he's just... Yeah, totally. So effortless, cool. In a way that, as lo- as as great as Gilbert is, in a way that Gilbert just isn't. He just has this like rock star uh, appeal to him, I guess, uh, which probably makes yeah grown men want their arms signed. Joe, you know, <laughs> I'm I love Roy Geller, not just being from Cork, but I I am a very pathetic guitar player, and I I love Roy Gallagher and. Uh, he uh he, his gravestone is in Ballincollig, which is um not too far away from where I grew up and it's actually modeled after his guitarist of the year award that he was awarded by some like German um guitar magazine or something like yeah. that but he he in his later years he before he passed away he ended up playing with slash and he's a huge influence on all of these like people you you wouldn't expect he's, he's actually the um the reason why uh he's a direct reason why um what's his name brian may from queen brian may came up to rory gallagher after a gig when he was about 10 or 11 and asked him how did he get his sound and rory gallagher said oh i take this boost pedal um and i run it through this vox ac 30 or whatever it is and that's the exact tone setup that brian may just like he was like okay well that's what i have to get now if i want to be a guitar player so he's like uh, such an influential guitarist that he's Mm. like you said just a just a rock star you know (laughs) yeah i've um I, i i was kind of a I guess not so much in the last couple of years, but as a teenager, when I listened to everything, I was like, you know, listen to some of his songs. And when I was about 16, like I didn't know the the kind of history. I didn't even know he was dead. And um, when I was about 16, there was a poster, posters all around town. And it was like, oh, live uh, playing in Electric Avenue in town, uh, Rory Gallagher. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, cool. I like some of the songs. I'll go see him. So myself and a couple of lads went down only to find out that it was fucking Rory Gallagher, lead singer of the Revs. You remember, the, remember the revs yeah 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 oh, I, was, I was wickedly disappointed <laughs> what's what's the revs big song oh wire to the moon yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know like you know a, 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 a decent band but like not 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 quite that okay. we're, 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 we're not going to lie here they were not a decent band they were okay. fucking shocking like they had like one or two good songs oh yeah, the the revs fit for me into like this perfect era of um, this perfect era of Irish music where it's like, well, we don't have the internet yet, so people can't just put their own music up. So yeah, if we, it's just whichever four bands we've found, 
this year and they're going to be the ones that are going to play the Mary I don't know after after graduation yeah the Mary I grad ball like yeah uh, yeah yeah. Jesus yeah there was a period where there was that shit and it was like you know hey come to the college thing Neil Delamere is playing fuck me he's playing at every college thing Like, no, you know, no disrespect to Neil Delamere. If you're listening, you want to come on the show, by all means. Yeah, of course. We like him. Yeah, we, we like Neil. Um, now, if you're Rory Gallagher from the Revs, you can fuck right off. <laughs> you're on our enemies. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, Rory? <laughs> <laughs> You've made it to my list of enemies. Kieran, what if he actually is one of the one of our dedicated listeners that he's well, just so hurt by it? Then I am perfectly fine with slipping to number 36 in the charts. <laughs> right? Fair enough. Your hatred of the Revs goes deep. Yes, it does. After that shit show, it does, yeah. Um, but, uh, anywho. Um, up next, uh, speaking of influential Irish people, Nell McCafferty is accused of being an aggressive little lady. Um, she refutes the claim, saying she's only aggressive on issues such as poverty, oppression, and the general state of the country, as she ushers in a new style of journalism, covering a range of topics, including women's rights, politics, etc. She's quite the pioneer, uh, pioneer for, for uh, that style. How? Sexist is the question. (laughs) This is why she had to bring in this style of journalism because, as a woman, like she had to, like, cover these issues that an an RTE interviewer that is coming to talk about her fantastic new style of journalism is just like, Nelly, you've been accused of being a very, very aggressive little lady. Can your small brain please come up with a response? And can you read what you write then, or do you get somebody else to to read over? You have a man who (laughs) does these things for you. She starts talking back, excuse me, who owns her? Who owns her? How how cool is she, though, when she lights up the cigarette? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's daddy. She's really like the the, the force behind kind of in-your-face kind of women. Um, and actually, meanwhile, a group of women set up Ireland's first support group for what was informally called battered wives. Proper term, of course, being victims of domestic abuse. We were very fucking fast and loose with some of the terms back in the day, like battered wives. Very, Jesus, it's very uh, in- offensive, if you will. Um, while another group of women invade the 40 foot men's only bathing uh, as one woman says if it's a rule she has to swim nude before 9am then she will much to the shock of the interviewer like who's making this rule that he- <laughs> this is like yeah you'd love to talk to the people who made this like initially a gentleman's bathing place and like what? It's like the golf clubs that are men only. And it's like, well, like, why? Why do you want to be men only? I don't understand. I can, I can kind of understand an old fashioned thinking of like, like if I go to a gentleman's only golf club, right? OK, bit sexist, but all right. I'm not playing in the nip if I'm there at half eight in the morning. <laughs> oh, they're the rules, I'm afraid. <laughs> like, who the fuck is it? Like, what are you, right? You jump in at quarter to nine in the nip. Oh, nine o'clock, I have to swim out and get my jocks on. Who comes up with there, this shit? There are still people who do it because, like, we would go for, for swims in, on the coast here in Dublin. Um, and, like, you'd... Uh, uh, I remember going to a small uh, bathing area uh, um, <laughs> one day with my girlfriend and we walked down and it's like down these rocks and there was just a guy sunning himself in the nip. 
Two o'clock in the day. <laughs> little little, little grey willy out. <laughs> little you know. oh, just, Jesus. Just, just, and then like, as in like, you know, and as people do in these situations, just kind of, ah, hello there. I was like, <laughs> what? like, put some pants on, man. Like, <laughs> don't make, don't make eye contact with either three of his eyes. Like, um, he's just like this old man, like, just, just, just sitting. He was just sitting. Yeah, he, he might have had a paper. I can't remember. And like, just willy out. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm I'm a simple man. I like simple things. I, I like to have a pint in the evening. I like to smoke a bit of tobacco, and I like to swim nude. Yeah. Hey, listen, I'm a, uh, most men do. I'm a simple man. That's yeah. all I like. That's God Almighty. Yeah, it is the most like fucked up. Like I can forgive men only shit because just back in the day, not in the nip. Nah, sorry, just not for me. Um, and uh, speaking of what we're struggling with, uh, Ireland is still struggling with the term illegitimate, which denies equal rights to children born outside of marriage. Um, campaign groups are set up to end the term and to change the law, which, of course, eventually did to take a couple of years, but it eventually came into fruition. It's, it's just again, it's one of these terms that's like, you know, just stop fucking saying it. It's not right. Like calling them illegitimate children. Of course, the big one that really focused around that was um, Dancing at Lunasa, the Brian Friel uh, play, which is a great play. Um, but God, like to think that if you were born outside of marriage, then, you know, you just sorry, you don't get equal fucking rights. Just it's it's a mystery. It really is a mystery. I yes. genuinely I think that there were still teachers when I was in secondary school. I think there still would have been a few teachers that w- would have thrown around that term. Yeah. Of like, you know, let's say they're I don't know, they're, they're reading something in a history book. It happens to say like all the person's parents weren't married and then they oh so it's just you know uh, christopher columbus was illegitimate or whatever whatever thing they just throw it in like it's a normal term yeah it's 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 madness and like it's it's one of those things like (laughs) it's such it's such skewed logic when you think about the scene we just saw with the battered wives so like it's better that a that a child is brought up in that type of household than one that's brought up in a house where the parents aren't married or maybe the, the father's not around or whatever like it's just you know it makes it makes it, it it's it's really nonsensical on top of everything else i love more od's line about they're not there can't be illegitimate children perhaps they're illegitimate parents i don't know that's a great yeah. that's a great yeah, line yeah. I thought. if you if you can come up with a line like that it's like oh yeah pretty much like come on she's already one come on yeah that's it out, out the gap we're done here yeah, <laughs> um, and over to the Harlan next. Uh, and Kilkenny face Limerick as a uh, Limerick goalkeeper gets one through the legs, allowing Kilkenny to get the win 319 to 113. Yeah, that's a uh, shocker. That, 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 that goal, yeah, close the legs like rule one of goal. <laughs> yeah. First rule of goalkeeping safe side on the back pass, rule two, close your fucking legs. Um, and in, yeah. Well, I was I was going to say that I, I'm not a I'm not a GA fan, but Simon, I, I love the way that you 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 were able to muster the emotion for that as if it was something that happened over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> you managed to be surprised by a goal that's uh, almost fifty years old. Rory, uh, Roger, sorry, I hate I hate uh, any time Kilkenny have won, no matter when in history it was. So that oh, was, okay, that is I'm very disgusted at that Limerick keeper who is either very old right now or possibly dead. Uh, yeah. But you know, just just very angry at him. Yeah, Dublin beat Galway 14 points to 116. Um, I, I, I feel your pain. Simon, my father is from Kilkenny and I had to go to all the matches and obviously not being a Kilkenny fan. Um, I remember many of the time where I would be put on the bus 
back from Grove Park, surrounded by Kilkenny fans who are celebrating the win. And there I am, head to toe in blue and white, face painted flags and the whole lot, pouting in the corner because we got our arses handed to us. So, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I watched Wexford lose to Kilkenny too many times. We just we, we need to merge the two counties and go <laughs> match them. Yeah, we should just have a have a southeast uh, region. Yeah, just exclude Kilkenny. Yeah. Um, and um, back to the states next. As a woman is interviewed about what she witnessed when Patty Hurst was kidnapped, very fascinating story. This one: uh, the millionaire heiress is kidnapped in California by the Symbionese Liberation Army as her father appeals for her safe return. Uh, the reason was they wanted food to be distributed to the poor of San Francisco, which worked as uh, the Hurst family doled out about two million dollars in aid, um, which. You see the people being interviewed like, look, I'm sorry for what happened to that that girl, but I got a family to feed. So they were obviously uh, one of these folks who were doing things, um, you know, for this is in the name of love uh, kind of thing. Mm. Um, and we get a statement from Patty Hurst that she's, uh, she wishes to stay with her captors. Um, two weeks later, she's seen on CCTV robbing a bank. And when she gets caught, she goes, no, I wasn't with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ultimate like... <laughs> Oh no, I really like it with them. I'm going to stay. I'm yeah. really into this uh, this helping the poor thing. And then it's like, yeah, you're facing some serious jail time here. It's like, oh, I'm I'm a victim. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, Wasn't me. You know, you know, they're holding me against my will. I like I liked the dad. Uh, what was his name? Ran- William Randolph Hurst, or whatever, yeah. I can't remember his first name. Mister Hurst uh, and his very cheery summer or summary of what was happening. Uh, he goes, they haven't killed anybody yet. Uh, they haven't injured anyone terribly seriously. No one's crippled for life or anything. It's like, yeah. oh, well, that that's okay then. Uh, Grant, yeah, they just they robbed your daughter and are ransoming her for like, you know, a couple of mil. Yeah. You know, she she's still around, I think. She is. Yeah, she's yeah, still yeah. alive. Still alive, yeah. Um, hasn't done much. Just wrote, written a couple of books and all that shit. But um, I don't think she ever really actually served any proper jail time either. Um, might have something to do with the fact that her father is a millionaire. Yeah, I was gonna say these these guys are they are wealthy, like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you if you can if you can give out two million dollars worth of food and then still have any dollars left, you're pretty wealthy, I think. Yeah, yeah, to be fair, he, he was. I'm not exactly sure what he was, but he's uh, obviously made his money somewhere. Um, and speaking of uh, speaking of the rich, uh, it's a really bad time to own a manor in Wicklow um, as over to Roxborough House in Wicklow, uh, where what is coined as the greatest art robbery takes place as an armed gang steals eight million worth of paintings. Uh, Sir Alfred Butte, I think, um, owner of the house says himself and the missus were in the library listening to the gramophone when it happened. I'd say the robbers thought they'd accidentally burgled the 1800s. I was going to say, like, it's 1974. Like, they had record players. Like, they had like, vinyl. You didn't need to listen they, to the gramophone. There were computers now at this point, yeah. pretty much. And this this man is a cartoon. This, yeah. this. <laughs> It's it's like he may as well have fucking said like, you know, yeah, well, we were in the I was dancing around the fire after sacrificing a sheep and uh, <laughs> Sheila was drawn on the walls in blood um, and reading Oum, uh, Ogham Stone, like the fucking gramophone. Like you couldn't be any more fucking pretentious if you tried. If you were trying to, to cast rich country house owner uh, for a movie, you'd pick this guy. Oh, 100%. Uh, this is grab a phone. Come on. <laughs> Get a fucking vinyl. In Wicklow, like. of all places. Yeah. I'm surprised that house wasn't burned down. 
<laughs> but the, the armed gang demand the release of Irish prisoners from uh, England, as well as 500,000 in ransom money, um, while £100,000 is offered by the Gardaí for information. Um, and the paintings were later recovered in Glandor in County Cork. Um, now, I just like, right, first of all, you break in, you take the paintings and you demand ransom money. OK, perfect. I doubt the man listening to the gramophone is going to have the rights to free Irish prisoners from England. But hey, I suppose we got to start fucking somewhere. Give it a go. Give it, give it yeah, a go. You shot. start high. You start high and work your way, work your way down. You know, like, he must have fucking kidnapped the two of them. He was like, right, give that horse fella a call. Because if he could throw fucking money out into the streets of LA, he could free the lads in England. Um, and it, the, the bizarrely of all, uh, a wealthy English woman named Rose Dugdale is convicted and charged, as well as being charged with involvement in an earlier IRA operation where an RUC station was attacked by a hijacked helicopter using a makeshift bomb in milk churns. And she got 18 years in prison as a result. It's just her set. Like I read up on her and it's fucking fascinating. Like she was her just stories, mad. It's crazy. Like she was just fed up basically with the English occupation, I suppose, quote unquote, of Ireland and decided to do something about it, which is very strange for like a wealthy English woman who could very easily mind her own business, just get involved in the height of this and cause so much chaos. There's a there's a few of, um, a few little weird things like that where occasionally, you know, there there's oh, what, Roger Casement, obviously completely yeah. different period, but he... he he was a uh, him c- coming over to the uh, Republican side was considered this huge disgrace and this national scandal in in England at the time. They were like, "Oh no, he's how how could he possibly turn?" Yeah, it's, it's look, it's just one of those weird things. But um, hey, it makes for interesting news, especially when you find out a wealthy woman was a wealthy English woman was capable of putting bombs in milk churns. So uh, I suppose farmers watch out. Yeah. It definitely <laughs> add another another layer to the whole thing. I mean, like there's there's plenty, uh, you know, plenty newsworthy stuff in this, but just it gives her, the the fact that her background just gives it an extra bit of uh, an extra bit of pizzazz. Yeah. I'm sure the papers were enjoying reporting on it. Oh, definitely. Um, and in other terrorism news, um, the IRA planned two no warning bombs in two pubs in Guildford in Surrey, <clears throat> in which five people would die uh, and would also blow up two pubs in Birmingham afterwards, which killed 21. Uh, the bombings would provoke major protests across the UK. And this, of course, would famously lead to what is known as the Guildford Four, where four people are convicted of the bombings and would spend 15 years in prison as a result before being proven innocent. Uh, and of course, the Birmingham Six, who were detained at a ferry port and served 16 years for a crime they did not commit. Meanwhile, the actual bombers were never brought to justice. Um, that's that's a very, very, very famous, like those people fought years for justice and it was still a couple of years later after they were freed that they were able to actually like get a formal apology as well i think that that's that um the movie in the name of the father isn't yeah. it is the to be honest it was probably all worth it just for that movie that's it's a great film oh what a great movie the it was, it was worth those uh that person's father dying in prison <laughs> Yeah, I um, I can never. Well, not that I can never remember. I was getting mixed up between "In the Name of the Father" and "In My Father's House." They're they're, they're two great Irish films, but um, no, they uh, they're definitely actually. You know what? They're actually definitely worth a rematch. It still holds up today. Who is it that plays the? Is it? It's not Gabriel Byrne, is it? Who play? Who plays um, Jerry Conlon? 
Oh, it's um, it's what's his name? Daniel, 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 Daniel Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Daniel Lewis. Yeah, and Emma Thompson is in it as well. Yeah, terrific film. Uh, so if you're listening, you've never seen it, definitely give it a watch. Um, yeah, too. This is yeah, it's very, it's like it's obviously like tragic. A lot of people die in these two bombings, but the 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 reaction from the British uh, authorities, you know, in, in arresting these people who are totally innocent, uh, is just is just. Um, it's scandalous. It's crazy. Like it's it's mad that this, this this happened and then it took them so long. I mean, I think I think it said it there. The Guildford four, I think, were in pres- prison for fifteen years, and the Birmingham six, sixteen. I mean, that's it's yeah. a long time to be in prison for, for anything, but let alone something you didn't do, uh, you know, or or like you know that 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 you that you weren't uh, that you weren't you know involved in. Like it's just uh, it's crazy. And it, you, but you see that what what's interesting to me on this is the the big anti-irish protests in the uk mm. um that they showed and like um, in birmingham in particular like i would go to birmingham for football kind of quite regularly i have a good mate who's a birmingham city fan so i've been over a few times and like he would say to me that like there's a big irish community in birmingham obviously but that there's also still like you know some you meet he would meet some people over there and they'd hear his accent and kind of be very put off uh because they still have that anti-irish feeling um you know from it like which is just uh it's it's it just shows the depth of feeling there was there was a yeah a huge wave of anti-Irish sentiment off the back of it and, and profiling and and whatnot. The yeah. it, uh, it I think it really um, like permeated for years afterwards. Yeah, not not unlike what what happened after nine eleven. You know, in, in exactly America, yeah, yeah. in the UK where you know um, obviously people who were kind of looked Muslim, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, were 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 kind of discriminated against or people were a bit wary of them and I think it's something similar uh, but it sounds things happened with Irish people yeah absolutely and uh, staying up north um, and as a result of the Sunningdale agreement power in the north will be shared by both Catholics and Protestants as we see the return of Big Ian um, as he shouts Mr Faulkner the time has come for you to go um, his powerful booming voice this is this is this is Big Ian in his pomp like crowing at oh, the yeah. uh, the strike and all that yeah because i mean like my freshest i suppose memories of ian paisley is like when he was a lot older and he was more hunched over but jesus christ he was he actually was massive like he was humongous towering over the other people yeah and then in this clip they have him standing what looks like on top of a building <laughs> he's really looking down on him, like. Yeah, and there's. I don't know if you noticed, right? There's a guy. So he's speaking into like he's obviously got a, a plinth there or whatever with a microphone on top of it. But there's another guy underneath him, holding up a microphone stand by the bottom of it, like the tripod yeah. part of it, with with one hand, <laughs> like totally steady. I'm like, the upper arm strength of this man is incredible. Um, while while Paisy bellows at the fucking thing, like, um, but yeah, he's uh, he was he was in he was in happy mood having brought down the uh, Sunningdale agreement. Have you wow. guys ever seen the footage of uh, of him calling the Pope the Antichrist? Oh yes, yes. yeah. And he he, the, I I remember thinking when the people are dragging him out, I just remember thinking they, they're not going to get him out. He's, <laughs> you're going to need more people. He's he's a tank. Yeah, he was. He he looked like the kind of fella now who would uh, he would just if he reared up like in a pub. You know, nobody's going near him. Like he just just leave him do whatever he wants to do and just leave peacefully because. You just you're gonna get your ass handed to you if Paisley kicks off. And his son, I think, is uh Rick. Yeah, well well, politician, yeah. well yeah, but the the only 
thing I interaction I have with uh, with him is there's a brilliant parody account of him on Twitter. <laughs> there oh, is, there is. oh, I must give that a look. I love a good parody account. It is. It's, it's excellent. Oh, it, it's superb. And it, I used to send it to my brother. My brother's not really that. Uh, he, he's he's not that much older than me, but he's not as online as 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 I am, or as terminally online as I am. <laughs> uh, that. I was able to send him a few screen grabs and he thought it was a genuine Twitter account for a while. <laughs> my, uh, my favorite parody Twitter account of all time is boring James Milner. Uh, which oh, is, I've not seen that. James, I don't know if you said earlier you were that big into sport or whatever, but if you're into football, James Miller, you know, Liverpool player, um, it's like the whole thing started because like James Miller is boring and he just constantly tweets things like, you know, I asked Mo Salah what the time was. He said quarter past three, James. You asked me twice already. I said, okay, sorry, Mo. And that's it. Like just the random as most boring fucking shit. It's hilarious. Yeah, and it's been going a long time, that boring. It has number. actually, yeah. Nearly 10 years, I'd say, but it's still, they're still coming up with stuff. It's the same as that 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 Ian Paisley Jr. one is hilarious because like, obviously, you know, uh, DUP politicians have been known to be quite outlandish in some of the things they would say. So some of the stuff, like it's it's genuine parody because it could be true a lot of the time, even though it's really sometimes ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. I'd, yeah, I'd recommend that the, one. Um, the best kind of, I suppose, quote unquote, takeover uh, or parody, if you will, of an account was, now I cannot remember, but those of you who have worked and lived in Dublin, you'll be able to tell me, what is the name of the shopping centre that has a Duns in it? It's not Jarvis, oh. is it? Or is it Stevens Green? Well, Stevens Green has a Duns in it. There you go. So it's Stevens Green because it's definitely a Duns. Um, somebody made, before they did, they made somebody made a Stevens Green, Duns store, Stevens Green Facebook page. And they started off very subtly by like, you know, putting up pictures on the, from the Dunn's website saying, oh, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic deals on bread and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then it spiraled out of control. And it was like, you know, <laughs> and it was saying shit like, you know, oh, just uh, just so you're aware, your tickets for tonight's dogfight behind the loading bay will be refunded, um, you know, due to cancellation as two of the competitors have died. And like people were like, what the fuck? And they would just like start up in the ante, you know, like Maureen, who keeps rubbing the cheese on her nipples. Uh, we see you. You're not welcome in the shop anymore. And Dunn's had to release a statement years ago. And we're like, this is not our page. <laughs> this is not. This is a fake page. Stop following it. But it's fucking brilliant. Uh, I feel like that that point in Twitter and Facebook and all those, that was the best point where everyone who was using them was just a tiny bit ahead of all the brands and and, and you could get away with hilarious stuff like that. But I feel yeah. like those parody accounts are dying off a bit now. There's still obviously yeah. a few good ones, but Yeah, no, we're in we're in the banter era era of social media now where every you know, like Duns and Mark Spencer's and Little and all them have a social media team putting out really cringy yeah. like really yeah. stupid replies but, and stuff and just yeah, the, it's just that stuff that's a thing. Called my cuff birth, guys. Oh I've my got god. My own caterpillar kick. Fuck the caterpillar. Uh <laughs> Do you know the Aldi Aldi released their um, their own line of merch? Yeah, you can get Aldi shoes and an Aldi tracksuit and everything. Yeah, I think that that's just one of those things where I was like, well, this I'd never thought that I'd knew when the apocalypse was coming, but <laughs> I guess I guess here it comes, guys. They're they're, they're flagging it. Um, before I move on to the last segment, though, I just remembered the 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 greatest one I ever saw of those was some guy changed his name on Facebook to customer service, and he would troll 
pages of things like Tesco and Aldi and all this kind of thing. And when people would leave bad reviews or complain, he'd just comment underneath it and make people think he was the customer service for that company. And the best one ever was for like Vodafone. And it was like, my internet's been down for six days now and I'm waiting on an engineer to come out and blah, 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 blah. And this guy, customer service, changed his profile picture to the Vodafone picture and underneath it literally wrote, uh, hi, how about you go fuck yourself, Sharon, you fag cunt. And then <laughs> that was... I'm just, I'm just, how dare you speak to me like this and then the actual like Vodafone customer service had to comment and be like we apologise that's not our official account but uh, to close out the show um, as we exit the year 1974 the IRA declare an 11 day ceasefire nice to see even the RA have annual leave um, as we see a sign behind a broadcaster which now which, re- which reads now 1,141 dead as a result of the troubles with millions of pounds in damage caused um, so the troubles very much the focal point of, of 1974 um, but we're going to close out with our usual segment. Um, and Roger, we do this every week as well. If you could, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Simon first because it would be unfair of me to just jump on you like this. But um, what if you could pick any three people from the episode that you've watched to take to a dinner party, um, sit down, would have a chat, have a few drinks, whatever, which three people would it be? So Simon, I'll start with you again. So who would be your three people? For this week. Okay, so yeah, we were we were kind of light on characters in this uh, in this uh, in this episode, but we, we we there's a few here contenders. So uh, Rory Gallagher is in. Um, you know, oh, yeah. he's just a, a very cool uh, musician, and I would like to uh, to have him for dinner and maybe he'd play a little tune for us. You know, uh, hmm. this is Rory Gallagher, not of the Revs, rock musician, not of the Revs. Yes, yeah, just okay. clarify, not the man from the Revs. Um, so Rory's in, and then I think I think Nell McCafferty. Um, we're gonna have Nell in. Um, she may be a very very aggressive little lady, but <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, in a way that the RT guy was not. Uh, so yeah, I'll have Nell in. She she seems well. She's obviously deadly. Uh, I like her attitude to things. Um, so we'll we'll get her in. She can write down the menu on the back of the fag packet like she did with her. Uh, that was I love her her writing her interview notes yeah. on the back of the fag packet in the clip. That was just brilliant. Um, so big fan of Nell. So we'll get Nell in. And then I, I was, there's, there's, there's a load of different, there's a couple of different options for the third one. Um, but to be honest, I think I'm going to go with Rose Dugdale. I, ah. I think her story is so fascinating um, that I, I would like to, to know. I really like, I've re- I did research her after, after seeing this episode, but like, it's one of those things I think you'd probably need to hear from her about her experience, um, you know, to come from aristocratic you know, English family and to become a, a essentially a, I suppose she would see herself as a freedom fighter, you know, in our, for Irish freedom from, you know, I think she called the English tyrant uh, in, the, in yeah. the quote from the court report. So, uh, you know, I'd be very interested to spend an evening in her company and, and, and find out. And I'm sure herself and Nell would uh, would probably have some very lively debates as Rory strummed away in the background. So, uh, yeah, that, that sounds like a good dinner party to me. Nice, nice. So, Roger, if you could pick any three people from this week's episode to bring to dinner, who would they be? So, do they have to be different from Simon's, or can they? No, be? they can oh, be they can similar. Be well, so ju- just to to liven things up a bit, because I, I think you pretty much knocked it out of the park there, Simon, with uh, with oh. your your guests. That uh, I, I I would have Rory Gallagher, but I would also have uh, Bjorn with his crazy guitar, uh-huh. uh, and I would bring uh, I would bring Ian Paisley, and we'd form some kind of super group <laughs> together. <laughs> 
Ian Paisley on vocals. It, it would be kind of like a, it, it would be a bit like Joy Division, I, I think, a kind of a droning, <laughs> loud droning vocals. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, like, yeah, love. I could imagine Love Will Tear Us Apart, sound yeah. by Ian Paisley. Um, yeah, no, those, those are fantastic choices. Um, if I could pick three, I would bring John from CIE. Because I'd love to teach him that death isn't just an American word. <laughs> like we, we have other words for it. Um, and I would bring the uh, the couple from Roxborough House because fuck it, why not? They've got their own gramophone. Uh, so that'd be that'd be interesting. That'd be my three. Um, I've kind of cheated by putting in the couple, but anywho. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to show them maybe just you know I don't know an A track and be like, look at this modern technology. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you don't have to use the handle on the side. You know. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to crank your gramophone up. <laughs> um, so that is going to do it from our review of 1974. Um, so Roger, it has been a pleasure to have you. Um, we're going to look into Thank next you, week, see if you are free. Um, so you can maybe let us know during the week what your availability is but I hope you've enjoyed your first hopefully just the first stint uh, on reeling in New years have you had have you had fun I have I've had, I've had a lovely time guys the it was uh, it was lovely as well to dip into such a classic uh, episode as uh, well, one thing I did realize what watching it was that the music the intro music to reeling in the ears uh, the titular reeling in the ears uh, does make me a bit ill because I had to watch it so many times editing oh. the <laughs> editing the, yeah. the 2021 <laughs> flashbacks. Yeah, oral right. fatigue is real. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, but no, it was uh, it was great, lads, and and also uh, I I didn't actually expect to have so many bits and pieces in it that I was like, oh, I was oh, I I I know this or or, or I know that or, or or look, it's Cork again. The, uh, <laughs> the, we we never even mentioned that uh, Brendan Grace popped in for two oh, seconds. Oh shit, he did. I skipped over that. Yeah, because I went straight. Yeah, I got to the distracted by you, you two having flashbacks about <laughs> Joseph and the amazing technical dream coach. That's actually true. He he pops in for two seconds and he basically says that he's the most important part of the show. Yeah, he did. He said, uh, "I've had my fun, and that's all that matters." Yeah. <laughs> Good old father, Finton Stack. Well, Roger, I'm glad you've enjoyed yourself. We certainly enjoyed having you. Um, I know if you folks, if you want to keep up with what is going on in terms of reading in the years and reading in your ears, be sure to follow us on Twitter at R-I-Y-E podcast. Pay special attention to our podcast, to our Twitter rather every Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Because every Sunday at 8.30 p.m., what happens? Well, Fair City runs over sometimes. But uh, after that is the new season of reeling in the years and Simon likes to live tweet. So he did it last year with 2012. I think we all we we all kind of agreed 2012 not a great year. Um but I mean we still got a bit of a still got a bit of good feedback on that. Um and yeah so this year will be it'll be 2013. Um so you're you're you you have your fingers at the ready. Uh we're we're, we're raring to go before I've been uh, icing them all week getting ready for the live <laughs> tweeting uh, extravaganza. That is, uh, that is, it's very intense. Here, I think I said that last week. Very intense live tweeting. Twenty-five minutes of prime reeling in the ears. Uh, I've heard rumors now that that you're that you're given the scripts beforehand, Simon, and that you're prepping, <laughs> prepping stuff. Is there any truth to that? <laughs> uh, I, I like uh, like Richard. I'm gonna deny, deny, deny. Okay, okay, yeah. we'll see. There's no way that that is true because RT won't even return my fucking email. Never mind. <laughs> Give us the scripts. I'm still waiting to hear back from them. Um, oh, have, you, have you been in contact with them about the 
Oh, the, the I, podcast, guys. I, yeah, I, I, I was talking on Twitter in DMs, as the kids say, to a gentleman oh. by the name of Mark Coughlin. Uh, shout out to Mark if you happen to be listening. Uh, and he is like an editor for Primetime. And he was like, oh, great idea for a podcast, whatever. Uh, you should get in contact with, you know, the guy who, who runs it or whatever. Um, and I invited him to come on. He was like, sorry, can't conflict of interest. You should really get on, though, to somebody on the Reading in the Year's team. And I was like, yeah, cool. Can you give me an email? So he sent me an email and he was like, look, just tell him you were talking to me. So I sent an email a couple of weeks before this to the general, you know, contact person in RT. Mm. And she was like, oh, listen, sorry. Uh, John O'Regan is not available for interviews at the moment. He's busy editing. She totally did not get the concept of what I was asking. Um, then when I emailed the email that the guy, Mark Hockland, gave me, the initial woman emailed me back again and said, as per my last email, I was like, motherfucker, don't you as per my last email me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you want to keep up with what's going regards, on. regards, Kieran Walsh. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they haven't been on. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> do, do, do you know when when I was I don't you, that Fair City podcast is no longer available unfortunately. But when, when we were doing that, me, me and my my housemate and friend Dennis, the that uh, you know, no, we never got any reach out from from anything, and we found out afterwards that there were people in Fair City that used to listen to it, and they're like, oh yeah, but we couldn't do we couldn't retweet it or anything because. It's making fun of first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A lot of uh, a lot of folks that I've been following on Twitter from like the likes of RT and papers and news and all that, they all have in their bio, my views are my own and not of my company. So they can't be seen to be like, you know, oh, isn't this funny taking the piss out of the thing that I worked so hard on? Yeah. But now I would say about this podcast, uh, this is a podcast that loves reading in the years. Well, it's you know, a celebration, definitely. We're, we're that's celebrating. That's what I was going to say. Is excellent, you... excellent. It's uh, a love letter. You know, yeah. excellent TV from from John O'Regan but look yeah. you know if RT if RT are going to be pricks about it that's fine maybe yeah. we'll change maybe we'll maybe we'll start critiquing I can't critique really in the years you know that Karen. yeah it's, I know I, well we might have to love. change we might have to change focus to don't look back in anger the TV3 one <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll answer anybody's fucking emails <laughs> we'll probably be we'll probably be charged with making the next series of it yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never I've never watched that don't uh, don't don't it's 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 chronic it's absolutely chronic. It's like buying, it's like living your whole life enjoying Rice Krispies and then going and getting like the Dunn Stores version, like Rice Snaps. You know, just don't do the disappointment to yourself. It sounds, and it's <laughs> and correct. Is that, now, I've never seen this, but, but do they did they use the song Don't Look Back in Anger? Yep. As at the start, yeah. So that the was their reeling in so, the ears, So it's know. literally exactly like for like yeah. the. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, but they're editing like you, like as I said, your your reeling in the years twenty twenty was light years ahead of their. <laughs> don't look back in anger and whatever money they put into it in terms of the attention to detail of the music with the clips and you know it, how it, how it came together. Uh, and uh, don't look back in anger was literally just they played the top ten songs from the yeah. year over well, a bunch of clips, and one of the clips was usually expose. Well, I'm sorry, lads, <laughs> but I'm. <laughs> I'm definitely getting in touch with TV3, Virgin Media One now as they're known, and oh, saying, yeah. "Listen, just let me out. I'll do, I'll do this. I'll take over." 
Yeah, they um no, you see if you want to make your product more like Don't Look Back in Anger, you just have to like edit in clips of Brian McFadden staring blankly at the camera that they've left in by accident. Um <laughs> it's not it's just not great. Um but if you more importantly, if you're listening to this, well I suppose more importantly John Regan if you're listening to this sack your bloody secretary and call me. Um but if you're listening to this and you want to keep in touch and follow on what is going on, uh we are at it of course we are at R-I-Y-E podcast as I said pay attention Sunday evening half eight will be Simon will be live tweeting uh, the new episode of Reeling in the Years which is 2013 we are going to be back next week as always 8pm every Friday where you can hear this wherever you hear your podcast so I just want to say a big thank you once again to our special guest this week Roger O'Sullivan thank you very much no problem, guys. Thanks so much, Thanks, Roger. Yep, and as always, as always, thank you very much to Simon for the big help today. Thank you, Karen. No problem. And for you listening out there, as always, keep on.